welcome to Sage and Spirit, a podcast designed to nourish your mind, body, soul, and spirit. I'm your host, Anna Claire Lottie, and I'm so grateful you're here. In this holistic wellness podcast, I'll be having candid conversations with others, exploring topics such as healing with plants, food as medicine, earth connection, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thank you for being here and sharing in this journey with me. Hey, everybody, Anna Claire here, and I am super pleased to welcome you to season two, episode two of Sage and Spirit podcast. Today, I'm talking with a dear brother, Josh Fox, who is also a local here to the Western North Carolina area. And we're talking all about the subject of grief and ways that we can be supported in our grief processes and different grief rituals to help us through this interesting and inevitable journey that we all experience at some point or another in our lives. Josh Fox is someone who I met in my very first year of herb school as he was actually one of the teachers for our program. And he was one of the people who taught me about Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, as he himself is an acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner. Um, but he's also so much more than that and has so much medicine to share with the world. And I'm really grateful for our conversation today. Uh, in this episode, we talk a lot about how grief shows up in our lives, how it manifests differently in different ways for different people and also at different times in our lives. We talk about community and going through grief together with support. And the way that, jo that Josh phrases this is tending to the village heart. And I just think that that's such a beautiful way of approaching this subject and really considering that we're never alone and that it's important to show up for one another, especially in these times that we're living through currently. Uh, you'll probably hear me mention his name as Fox, as that's actually how I have come to know him over the years. He goes by Fox um, with a lot of his friends and family members. So I think I do refer to him in this episode as Fox. But definitely when you're looking up his information, when you'd like to know more about all of his different offerings, you will find it all under the name Josh Fox. But that being said, I'll get back to some of the things that Fox and I talk about today. Um, so he actually starts off by sharing what he refers to as his grief initiation, um, a, a time in his life that he went through where he really was met directly with, with grief and the intense experience of it. And he knew that he needed to find a way to, to look this in the eye and to meet it and to almost make friends with it and, and figure out how he could integrate this into his life. He talks about how no one really teaches us how to deal with grief or ways to be with it. And he considers himself an apprentice to grief which is again, just a really lovely way to approach this topic. Um, because I think that it's something that we never really fully learn necessarily exactly how to be with things in the moment, but if we can view it as an apprenticeship and as a learning experience, then from where I'm coming from and from this conversation that we have today, 
it, we might be able to look at it more as an opportunity, a way to enhance our own growth and development, our own inner knowing, and also the these aspects of our community. And again, and again this village heart that he, he refers to. So there's so much really just great wisdom, so many gems in today's conversation. And so I really just want to launch right into that and introduce you to Josh Fox. Uh, but first to tell you a little bit more about him, Josh Fox has built a life around the healing powers of plants, people, and community, which I think you will find very evident as he speaks today. He weaves herbs, song, and acupuncture into his private healing practice, and he writes music that uplifts the heart, honoring his plant allies and tickling the human spirit. With the same gentle, grounded nature he receives patients, he regularly holds group ceremony space around grief, heart healing, and song sharing. And I will definitely share more in the show notes, and he will talk a little bit more at the end of today's episode about how you can find his offerings and also how you can tune into some of his beautiful music. I hope you enjoy today's show, and I hope that it touches your heart in much the same way it did mine. Josh Fox, welcome to Sage and Spirit. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And I know that this is such an important topic for life in general, but also for these times that we're living in and, and navigating currently. So I'd love to dive right in and maybe start with a little bit about um, the work that you're doing in the world right now and give us a little bit of a background as to how you came to this work. Yeah, well, I wear a lot of hats. Um... I'm a healing practitioner, facilitator, uh, a teacher, a musician, and a community member. And I guess throughout my adult life, I've been just learning how to plug a lot of my different skills into community in what I call, uh, and it's not a, a term I've coined, but uh, kind of tending the village heart, mm -hmm. um, which means remembering our humanness valuing connection to one another and doing deep healing work that contributes to the wellness of ourselves, our community and our ancestral lines. And uh, so practically what, what that looks like in my life, um, besides co-stewarding community land with others with sustainable practices and interpersonal work, um, I've just been diving deep into offering spaces for grief work to happen. Um, I went through about six years ago, six or seven years now, I went through a really challenging time in my life. Um, it was kind of the breaking point was uh, a heartbreak with a relationship I had been in, but it just kind of opened the doors for lots of grief to pour through me. I call it now the uh, a grief initiation, but at the time I thought I was losing my mind and just went into profound states of sorrow and relentless crying and didn't really know what to, to do. Didn't really, hadn't been told about that. You know, school never really uh, cued me into what, what that was about. And there wasn't much 
there's not much emotional literacy in our culture. So it went for about a year of just no appetite, no joy. Um, and finally, it led me to, I think, discover ways of how to be with that energy and, and led me to people and different um, situations and different healers um, where I was able to uh, understand the ways of grief. Um, I think I'll always be apprenticed to it, but at that time it was my first interaction. And along that way, I had been doing herbs and acupuncture in my private practice. Um, and I emerged out of that dark cave, um, kind of attracting more and more people to my side, wanting to, who were in their own grief initiations. And so I was holding more and more space for grief work. And one of the, the key parts of my own journey was uh, getting to be a part of a grief ritual with Sabanfu Somay, um, the, the Dagara people out of uh, the Burkina Faso area of Africa. And she came to the West with Maladoma Somay. And the two of them have brought grief ritual. Basically, their indigenous cultures adapted way of holding community grief space. And it was such an outrageous thing for me to even wrap my brain around, but to witness hundreds of people in a space, um, witnessing and holding space for each other in their sorrows was a big, it was eye-opening to me to see that that was done as a collective effort. And so along with the shifts in my private practice, I'd also been facilitating and teaching in different ways. And um, I started making way and introducing um, within the ceremonies and rituals, always doing ways to just make space for that kind of emotional expression. And uh, yeah, since then it's really, it's developed and, and grown in ways I couldn't have imagined from mm -hmm. since the get-go. That sounds like uh, quite a journey and really appreciate you sharing your story with us and, and how you came to offer this work. And it, it just feels so potent and powerful what you're saying about this um, being an apprentice to grief. I think that's a really beautiful way of stating it because I don't know that it's really something that anybody ever really masters, right? Because each time it's a different experience. And Definitely when we have our first really deep grief experience, um, I, I went through, I've, you know, we've all been through grief in many different ways, but I had probably my, my deepest grief experience in, um, I guess it was actually 2019. And, you know, I still go through, through waves of that at times, and it's certainly not a linear thing. And, and, you know, there's this talk about the different stages of grief, but you don't go from stage one to stage five, and then you're done. Um, at least in my experience, it's this constant ebb and flow, and you know, you you never really know when it's going to come back around. So to be an apprentice to that, I just I think that that's just such a lovely way of looking at it because it's something that we can consistently learn from, and it it changes and morphs and evolves over time. Um, and I just also want to thank you for being someone in our community that can hold this space, because I think a lot of times with big emotions and experiences such as grief, 
um, it's so important to have a safe, safe space and to feel held. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, in modern society, a lot of communities aren't, aren't really built that way. And some people may feel that they don't even have a community. And so to, to be able to have a place where you can express what you're going through, where you can come undone, if that's what needs to happen, it feels really important. Um, so, you know, deep gratitude for to you for just for holding that space and and for realizing that need within your community within our community here in the mountains of North Carolina and yeah and I I love too just what you said about remembering our humanness you know we we try to take on so much and I know um in my own experience a lot of times you know I want to hold it together and I want to be there for other people and then sometimes when I have that need for people to be there for me, it's, it's hard to ask for. And it's, it's hard to, you know, let our walls down a little bit and allow that to happen, but it's also so important and so necessary. Um, and I think there are some opportunities and some lessons that can come from that too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what you said about um, sort of emerging from this dark cave, it's really been a, a theme lately. Um, not only in life, but also in my recent podcasts. And we've, I've been having interviews talking about shadow work and about um, changes and shifts in relationships and what that can look like and self-worth and self-love. And a lot of this requires deep excavation of our inner worlds. And um, that in itself can be a scary thing to look at sometimes and, and challenging for sure. So um, I know that also this time of year is, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, sort of a season for that. We go into the darker part of the year, the colder part of the year, the more yen part of the year, and it's really a prime time to do this work. Um, and you know, just kind of going back to the work that you do in your clinical practice as an acupuncturist and with uh, traditional Chinese medicine, I know that this time of year is often associated with grief and with the lungs. And I wondered if you might want to just speak to that for a moment and how you see that maybe come up in your practice. And if you have any sort of, um, you know, tips or thoughts that you'd like to add to that. Yeah. So I guess having been trained in uh, a Taoist form of Chinese medicine, I was really the deep, I was taught to get most of the deep teachings just through observation of nature. And when we pay attention, we see that now in the fall time is when the days grow shorter and darker, the trees let go of their leaves, the migratory animals slow down and internalize, and uh, the plants sink their energy back to the roots. And I think an important thing of the human remembering is to know that we're not outside of this nature programming, to know that we're not exempt from these natural cycles and that we too draw our energies inward and receive nature's invitation to release and return in this darker time. So, you know, and it's no mistake that so many cultures have the time of connecting to the ancestors now because these veils are thin we're kind of going into that underworld. We're making that descent that naturally happens. And so part of that, you know, 
really appreciating and accepting that invitation is to do the internal deep work, um, which might look like shadow work, which might look like grief work, um, and really take kind of take into account of our losses, except the fact that everything in life that we love, we will lose at some point. And that this grief work is, it's kind of the, the back or shadow side to love. Um, so we gain that harvest and the delight of spring popping out and the summer abundance. And now with fall, there's this, this sinking feeling as we're kind of going back into the cave we're putting, putting our, our bounty in jars, staying inside a little bit more. Um, and this, it's the fitting time where we are going to connect with those losses. We're going to connect with those ancestors and then do a little bit of our, our deep work too. Um, and I've noticed, I guess through my, you're asking about my clinical experience. Um, now is a time I do see, I see grief, grief happening throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, so by no means uh, is now the only time to do it. But I have noticed in, um, I get asked to do more and more rituals in this time of the year. Um, I know in October there was four or five that happened. And it wasn't just a, a handful of people, but the last one, 65 folks from the area showed up um, wow. to gather outside on a very cold day um, to do this work with the, with one another. Um, and I think is, as far as some of us might be away from nature, there still is that inside connection that we have to this feeling of, um, of the autumn of this, the young energy becoming yin. Mm. Yeah. So while wow, 65 people, I mean, that just, that just shows how, how important this is and, and how much so many of us likely need these sorts of, of rituals and practices. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's really interesting to relate everything back to the natural world, because like you said, we're, we're a part of that and we're not outside of that. And so, you know, as you mentioned, just observing nature and seeing how things change. And of course, you know, depending on where you are in the world, that can look, uh, you know, a number of different ways. Um, but certainly here where we live in North Carolina, all of the leaves are falling. Now the trees are letting go. Like you said, the plants, their energies are sinking back into their roots. Most things are not, you know, flowering or blossoming anymore. And so, um, I love this notion that you mentioned of seeing this as an invitation, um, because certainly, grief happens all the time, uh, year round, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on around you. Um, but when we can really connect with the world that surrounds us and that we are a part of inherently and see this as an invitation, I just love that shift in perspective um, where we can say, okay, now is, is a really good time for me to look at these aspects of my life and to to go there and to do this work, especially if, if we're able to find support and in, in that process or in those processes. And so you speak about, you know, this initiation, um, I'm sorry, invitation. 
and the the rituals. And I wonder if maybe you can share a little bit about the importance of ritual itself and how this can can lend greater support to such deep processes such as grief. Yeah. Well, one of my, uh, something I love that one of my teachers says is that uh, ritual is nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, meaning that we can't, it's not something sensible for the mind to really understand, but there's some something deeper that runs through it um, that makes sense to us on a soul level. It makes sense to us on that, that part of us that's where we're deeply still tied to the umbilicus of this earth. Um, or we still work with the elements, or we still work with the ancestors, um, or we still connect with the fire and the water. Um, so there's something profound that happens in ritual where we create a container for different intentions to show up. Um, and rituals can be anything by your, you know, from by yourself, by the wood stove, um, to these big group ceremonies um and at least what it looks like with these grief rituals as i've been doing it it's been a, a i say a co-collaboration with spirit mm. um a knowledge that from a humble place of i'm part of a culture that's just barely starting to remember the village just starting to remember that the village heart and how we can all come together to be our best human selves. And with that, asking for help and from spirit on how to, how to do this work, that if we can come together to celebrate for weddings, bar mitzvahs, anniversaries, birthdays, that we know that it's important for us to come together to do grief work, um, which is natural work. It's part of our humanness. Um, and so what that's looked like as far as the specific ritual has been, uh, often it's, uh, a day long ritual where we spend about half the day cooking the ritual, which means just getting into that place of vulnerability mm -hmm. it means like taking away all of our masks, um, that get in the way of just being authentic and real dropping in and seeing the humanness with each other, um, sharing that reality of, of, wow, like you've been on a big journey too. connecting with other people in the circle and seeing that, you know, some of them have lost certain important things to them, getting to speak to the grief and look each other in the eyes and be like, all right, um, I see you, you see me, we're here to do that work. So half the day is just getting there. Um, and then the second half of the day is opening altar space, um, and allowing whatever needs to come through to pour through. And that might be grief. That might be anger. That might be sounds that we don't have words for. Mm. It might be energy. That's just, I really use the term kind of in our culture. Grief is is very specifically, I call it grief with a little G is specifically connected to when you lose somebody, lose a family member, kind of the crying that happens. 
Um, but grief with a big G that I've come to understand through a lot of the indigenous cultures is basically any stuck trapped energy inside of you um, that wants to find its way out. Um, and so we make space for all of that. There's an area for, for grieving, for letting out our tears. There's a, a whole anger and rage area we've developed over time. So, cause some of us just need to, to scream it out and rage before we can, um, release. We need to get in touch with that protector, the deep warrior inside first, before we're able to, to soften into a vulnerable place where, um, the tears might want to move. So this all happens in a space where we're witnessing and holding each other all happens within a, a container of agreements of a strong intention to, um, to receive exactly what we need in that space. Um, and be able to do this work. That's not just for ourselves, but for our community and also our ancestral lines, our lineage. Mm. That sounds really beautiful. And I, I love this, um, what you, what your teacher said about ritual being nonsense, because at first, you know, maybe that can be construed a different way, like nonsense, what's the point? Um, but, but nonsense, meaning that it's not something that our sensical mind can really wrap itself around that, like you said, where it's something so much deeper, something that reaches us on a soul level that sometimes we don't have words for sometimes we haven't even experienced until you know we're in a position such of this such as this where the space is there for us to allow that energy to move through us and um you know this also what you've mentioned about the village heart um i really love that because in our society and in a lot of communities again there there isn't as much a sense of community and especially over you know this past year and a half two years a lot a lot of us haven't been out as much we haven't been interacting as much with other people or with our communities and that can feel really isolating in a number of ways um you know physically but also emotionally because we we, we are human and, and naturally we are connected to one another. We are connected to the world around us, as we've mentioned. And so when we don't have ways to really foster this connection, um, it can feel really tough. Um, and I think a lot of us have, have noticed that and have become maybe hyper aware of that in, in recent times, especially. So, um, you know, I, I'm also really glad that you spoke to this, grief with a little g and grief with a big g because i think a lot of times people do relate grief with being you know the death of someone in the family or a loved one a pet you know something along those lines and absolutely those are moments of grief um but grief can also be like you said stuck energies trapped energies maybe stories that we've taken on and and you know, kind of built into our psyches and into our identities that we may not even be conscious of, that we may not even be aware of. And, you know, it can be changing locations, changing jobs. It can be, grief comes up in so many different ways that our society hasn't necessarily named. Um, it's just kind of like, oh, this is, this is the thing that grief is. But when we realize, you know, almost, kind of like the bigger discussions that are happening around trauma right now and that 
there can be micro traumas and, and they all add up. And so I think from what you're saying and, and what I'm I'm hearing is, is that there, there's a lot of micro grief sort of things that also happen in our lives and, and they compound, they can compound over time. And so if we're not doing this work or we're not aware of what is building up, then it becomes this sort of pressurized pot, right? Where there has to be some sort of release. There has to be some sort of um, space for this energy to move through us because otherwise, as we know, being practitioners in, in the world of healing, over time, these things can build up and manifest in, in many different ways in our lives, both in the physical sense and in the mental and emotional sense, and, and they can become a detriment to, to our health and well-being. Um, yeah. uh, all, as far as naming those griefs, I just want to shout out to uh, a wonderful author from the West Coast, uh, Francis Weller, who in his work uh, has kind of started to name these different griefs which have been helpful in rituals to, to name out. Um, he talks about them as the five gates and within the five gates, he includes uh, sort of basically anything that we've lost, which mm -hmm. could be humans, it could be pets, it could be neighborhoods, it could be our favorite tree getting chopped down, it could be a job that we really loved or some opportunity, anything that we possibly loved and lost um, there's also parts of us that haven't known love is another gate of grief. Parts of us that have felt guilt or shame, those dark spots that have been closed off to grief. Then a huge one, which always gets me, is just grief for the world. Mm. Grief for our natural habitats being destroyed, species um, disintegrating and whatnot. There's also uh, ancestral grief. So stuff that we didn't even feel in our lifetime, but has gotten passed along. Um, and it's, I think that one's so big because it's, we're not just first generation folks who are, um, are having grief, but it's been lost these ways for, you know, sometimes three, four five generations. And uh, I love the works of Martin Prechtel, and he basically speaks in his words that all the violence in the world is because of unresolved grief. Mm. So, and that's both in individual grief, but also that there's go so many ghosts around because folks who have passed haven't been grieved properly to be able to make it to the land of the ancestors. So he speaks of a culture that's just backlogged with so much, which is why there's so much violence and animosity that that comes through. And I think for me, as a, in doing this work, um, as a, having a private practice, I've gotten to just watch example after example, um, basically watch every patient that comes in, even if they're coming in with a physical malady, that if we take the time to dig, which I do nowadays to get to the root of things, um, we generally find some grief there. We find grief, we find trauma, we find these residual shadows that have accumulated. Um, and so I once was a practitioner using um, 
mostly herbs, also acupuncture too. These days, um, we kind of cut to the chase. I, I really like to work with my patients and, and get down to those levels to, to try to mitigate it. Because um, if we don't get down to whatever grief is underneath, um, whatever physical conditions are just going to keep coming back or reshaping in different forms. Mm. And it's miraculous. It's amazing. It doesn't, um, it doesn't cease to, uh, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but it continues to amaze me to see patients um, who are suffering from all sorts of things, you know, stuff Western medicine would call this kind of inflammation or this kind of autoimmune disease um, or these kind of psychological patterns um, when there can be a release of grief um, or when we're tending to our trauma and our shadows, these maladies just disappear. They no longer have strength on the body. Um, and it leads to a lot of wellness. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's, um, this concept of somatic experiencing, right. And, and somatic meaning like relating to the body and of the body and how we do hold and store trauma and grief in our bodies. And so thank you for speaking to this. And it sounds like the, you're, you're seeing this in a number of different ways. Um, I wonder if you're noticing any sort of specific patterning when you're having patients come in and, and like you said, cutting to the chase and getting right to the course of the matter, are you seeing grief being held primarily and in sort of some very similar patterns or is it is it really just kind of it can be anywhere in anything it can be anywhere in anything um mm. a lot of us kind of have this quintessential idea of like heaviness in the chest which we see a lot um but knowing um from the chinese medicine standpoint is basically that anywhere blood flows is where our shen is which is where our consciousness is, which literally like our emotional body just flows in every part of us. Um, and it gets hung up in different places that are very, that can be very unique to us or it could be unique to our circumstances. Um, I certainly see in a very patriarchal culture, um, I see a lot of women blocked here um, at their throat um, mm -hmm. basically needing to survive in this world, um, by holding back what needed to be said at some point. So there's often immense pressure when we actually take the time to look at sensations, there can be immense pressure on the throat. Um, and maybe words that need to come out. Um, some people bear it in their hips. Some folks, I know for me in my solar plexus in times where I just couldn't be in my full strength or power, or I had to hold back in order to fit in in some way, which is very common in this culture. Um, I get stuck kind of right above my belly button and there's just grief that that sits there. And when I'm able to, um, to move it, I can feel that energy open up and flow, um, and no longer feel as tight. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is, it, it manifests in so many physical ways that I think if our healthcare system were really wanting, really, uh, if our culture really cared about health and wellness, um, we'd just be having an ongoing grief ritual in the, uh, 
in the streets. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wouldn't that be such a powerful thing? For sure. I, I, I would love to see something like that. You know, um, I feel like that, that something like that could, could, could really create change on such a huge scale. Um, but I hear you, you know, people can hold things in so many different ways. And like you said, it's unique to potentially their own constitution, circumstances, environment, whatever they've, you know, experiences they've had and gone through. Um, I notice, you know, as I get more and more in tune with my body, as I, as I grow each day, um, you know, I can, I can feel sometimes when there's, when there's tension or kind of like what you were saying with the solar plexus area, it may feel stuck. It may feel tight. It may just feel like, you know, a lump, like a, a blockage. And, and we may not even necessarily see it that way or be conscious of it that way, but I almost can liken it to, you know, when you feel like you need to cry and you have to suppress it and you get that lump in your throat and it's really uncomfortable and then it makes it hard to swallow. And then, you know, it's like sort of this chain reaction of, of things that happen in your body. And again, when we don't have a way to express that or to move it through, where does it go? Um, you know, that's the question. And, and it, it gets lodged somewhere in our bodies and in our psyches. Um, I love that you mentioned to this author, Martine Prechtel. Um, I'm a little bit familiar with him, and I actually have one of his books on my, my bedside table right now, um, The Smell of Rain on Dust. And it's a really beautiful book um, that, that speaks on grief and, and that speaks to these processes and in humanity and in our cultures. And, um, you know, just kind of circling back around to this moving of energy and the, the need for that. Um, I really appreciate what you said about and, and, and how you hold space in your grief rituals and ceremonies for there to be this expression of anger and rage, because it's, it feels like a lot of times when we aren't able to express things in the moment or where we don't feel safe doing so, that when they get kind of buried, they fester and they can really become heavy and filled with with anger and with rage and i did um a podcast episode a while back over the summer on breath work and when i was speaking with this woman in peru about breath work um we talked about how a lot of times in her breath work circles there there is an opportunity well i mean i think throughout her circles really but there's this opportunity to just scream to cry to to just move our the energy through our bodies in these ways that we don't always feel like are welcome um they can oftentimes be emotions that we're taught that we're taught we're not supposed to express or, um, you know, that, that they're just not really allowed or they're not proper or, you know, depending on where you grew up and, and your family and, and however that may look, you know, there's a number of different ways of, that we can be conditioned to suppress these emotions. Um, so that just, it really just feels so important to, to move that stuck energy, to release that trapped energy. Um, and, and like you said, too, this aspect of ancestral grief and how I think that this is something I know personally, I hadn't really been exposed to this idea until maybe the, the last five or six years. I didn't really know about ancestral trauma and and how that can play out um, through our lineages. And, you know, just briefly, I don't know if 
there's anything that you want to speak to specifically about that? You mentioned ghosts and, and how that's something that's really more common than we may realize. And I know I've heard the term before in, in acupuncture and in some of the Taoist lineage with um, the stone medicine teachings, also this concept of hungry ghosts. And I don't know if that's something that, that you speak to or that you work with, um, but if, if there's anything else that you might wanna add for people who may not be familiar with this concept of ancestral trauma or ancestral grief and how that lives through us. Yeah. There's a lot to be said on, uh, <laughs> on all of that. Um, I think we get this picture that we're alone here. Um, generally, what I grew up is you have grandparents and, and they pass over and um, we just don't see them again. And we're on our own for the rest of our journey. And I think when we look into a lot of indigenous cultures, um, a lot of the more intact village cultures, um, we see a wisdom that we're surrounded by ancestors. We're surrounded um, by those who are, are taking care of things on the other side. And there's this ongoing connection and collaboration um, with these beings that are, that can be of support and in, in guidance in our life. Um, and it's not so automatic. In some cultures, uh, the village would have to do X, Y, and Z to, to get them onto the other side. I know Martine talk, Prechtel talks about uh, there needs to be enough tears for those, um, for someone who's passed to be able to, to push their oars. The, their paddles, their boats need enough water. Mm -hmm. um, they need the rivers of tears to make it to the other side. Um, and there's similar teachings in other, other cultures of that kind of ancestralization of how to get there. Um, and in some ways, I feel connected. I'm learning. I'm a toddler in terms of making these connections and understanding um, my own personal connections. Um, my eyes, I feel like, are just newly open to, to what this could mean on a day-to-day -day basis, and then my soul journey in my life. Um, what I've found is there, the support that we need to get from them is, uh, is huge. Like that we can't do this, this life thing alone. Um, and then we're all kind of infants moving along without the help from the other side. As far as ghosts though, uh, I think for fear of confounding some different cultures idea of of what ghosts are. Um, I'll speak a little bit to the hungry ghosts. Um, and this could literally be, um, as some speak of entities that, that stick around because their soul didn't complete something. Um, but it's also used in, in terms of our own, um, our own undoing. And I see this a lot in the realm of, of grief where when this energy can't flow through us, um, this energy wants to move through us, whether it's grief, anger, or whatever is there and doesn't get the chance to do so, it's enormously uncomfortable. And there becomes desires for distraction and addiction. These become these ghosts that are 
and some would say parasites, it actually kind of translates the same um, with a few of the Chinese words um, of entities that are, that can take over when we're not in our fullness, that we're not in the flow of our consciousness. It seems to, this could be addiction to drugs, it could be addiction to food, it could be addiction to sex, um, to screen time. Um, but these are things that kind of captivate our mind and our being um, when we're not in our full flow. Mm -hmm. And here is where I think this, this grief work and, and healing work is important because um, in my mind, it's less about stop doing that thing that, that might be harmful to us or that might be taking over our reserves, but let's actually hold space and make time um, to be present with whatever it is that we're running from, that we're hiding from, that we feel shame about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a yeah, that's a lot um, to consider and, and just this, this small amount, you know, kind of the tip of the iceberg that we're touching on here. And um, I do think it's really important, you know, a lot of these things that you're talking about and that we see as addiction um, and rage and anger, um, there is a lot of shame that can come up around that. You know, it's it can be hard to admit for people. It can be hard to talk to other people about it. And again, that's just all the more reason to have these safe spaces and containers where it's all welcome because it's all part of the human experience. And every single one of us goes through this in some form or another, likely at, at multiple points throughout our lives. And to reflect on this and, and to think about the ways that we can hold space for this and have an acceptance for it. Um, and, and, you know, at some point, maybe even a sort of responsibility around it for our community, like you're talking about where, you know, it's, we, we can't really do this work alone. And I think a lot of times people feel very alone when they're in these places. And I know I've been in moments of grief and in, and in, in periods of grief where there's like this initial support that comes from the people around. And it's like, you know, maybe the first week people are, are reaching out and they're checking in and they're seeing how you're doing. Maybe they're offering support in other ways. And then there's almost this tendency for it to, to trail off a little bit. Um, but the interesting thing is that the grief likely has not trailed off. It, it may just be starting to settle in and, and that can be a really difficult space to be in. And I know that something that that I learned from a, a period where I was going through some deep grief was that I wanted to be because of my own experience. And, and it was kind of, you know, yeah, the first two weeks I felt, okay, I'm really supported in this. And then that went, didn't go away completely, but you know, I, I get it. People have busy lives. They have their own things going on. Um, but, but there was a point where I was like, okay, well, everybody is, is gone now. And now it's just me. And now I'm really having to deal with this on my own. And, and I was at home alone for a lot of this time. And, and that can, that can feel really, really tough and challenging, and it can be hard to, to climb out of those spaces. Um, you know, so I think that, that what I learned from that was that when I recognize other people going through grief, I really want to 
do my best to be more aware of how that can look so different for so many people and, and to try and be there throughout their process. And that might be years. And, um, you know, just to, to remember that it, it doesn't all resolve in, in two weeks time or, you know, and, and that process looks different again for everybody. Um, but I do feel like it's part of this sort of, you know, I don't know, responsibility sometimes has almost like a, a kind of cringy connotation with it, but this importance of, of holding that for other people. And um, a lot of the work that I've done in some of the, with some of my Peruvian teachers and within that culture, they, they speak of this concept called Aini, which is sort of loosely translated in English um, as a sort of sacred reciprocity. And it's the way that I see it is that you know, if we can really be there for others and have this continual loop of sharing space and sharing love and um, honor and respect in these different ways, it, it really does tend to the village like you're talking about. And, and we know that when we have our moments, that someone will be there to support us um, in the physical sense, but also what you're talking about with um, the ancestors and, and deepening our connections there. And, and I'm, I'm same as you, you know, this is all, this has all come up in, in recent years for me. So again, I definitely feel very much like a newborn or a toddler, um, in all of this, you know, because there's so many different ways to connect, but I didn't grow up with these ideas. I didn't grow up with the, thought that I could even connect to ancestors. There was no talk of ancestors other than, you know, oh, your great grandmother did this or was this or, the, you know, came from here. Um, but there was never really any discussion about keeping that connection open. And also the distinction between wise and well ancestors and perhaps these hungry ghosts that have unresolved things that perhaps are playing out throughout you know, through our, our lineage, through our bodies, through our actions and processes. Um, so again, you know, these, this is such a huge topic and we could probably go on for, for hours or perhaps even days about this. Um, but in the interest of time, um, I feel like this is a, a really good place to, to leave things for now. And, um, you know, I'd love if you might be able to speak. I mean, of course, if there's anything else that you wanted to mention, I welcome that. Um, but also you've talked a little bit about your public grief rituals and um, and your private practice, your clinical practice. So if you wanted to maybe mention some different ways that people can find out more about your work or different ways that they might be able to work with you or connect with you, um, I would love anything that you'd love to share along those lines. Yeah, I'd love to share that. I'll say one more little thing um, that you inspired, which is a, a teaching from my own ancestry and lineage, which uh, I grew up Ashkenazic Jew, and which there is a lot of wisdom still deep embedded um, in this intact culture. And you were talking about uh, just support networking in this. And there's a, a teaching in Judaism that there's a special prayer you're supposed to say when you lose somebody for, uh, for 10 months. Mm -hmm. um, and you would say it once a day. And the catch to that prayer is the fact that um, you can only say this prayer if you're in a minion, which means if you're with 10 other people. Mm 
And so there's all this beautiful technology built into this teaching, which is that even when you're in those hard times, you have to get out of bed. You might, you know, find a cry there and have your feelings, but you need to get out of bed. You've got to find this community once a day. Um, and in the recitation of this, called, which is called the Kaddish, um, those who are grieving stand up. So in that technology, you recognize who in your community is having a hard time um, in which you can extend your, your love and support and will to those folks. And it's just, uh, there's a beauty to the, the prayer itself, which actually has nothing to do with death and grieving. Um, but kind of like remembering where you are and what you're doing and um, full force forward. So I just love the little kind of embedded wisdom in this, in the operation of that, um, of that teaching. Mm -hmm. That sounds beautiful. And it, it, it just, I love what you're saying about how you can only say this prayer when with 10 other people around. And so it's, it's, you know, sort of gently forcing that community to happen, even when it might not feel like when you might not feel like reaching out, it's like, well, I have to be around people to say this prayer and they have to witness me and I have to witness them. And that's part of the healing process. Right. And so there's probably folks listening to this um, that might be going through a hard time or feeling challenged um, and isolating. Um, so many of us are isolating now. Um, mm -hmm. still with COVID or, or maybe coming out of that or negotiating that line. And um, so I want to all sign off by, by kind of talking some next steps in terms of this work. Um, I guess what I want to say to all of you having a challenging time is uh, to keep breathing, to keep knowing that um, these hard times and this grief is part of being human. Um, it's not an imperfection along the way. It's not pathological, um, but it's part of our soul journey to be able to go deep. And just like the hero's journeys that you read in every story and every movie, going deep into the darkness, into the tunnels is where we find our treasures and the magic. Um, and you might not be in a place where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, um, but there, there is, what's the word I'm looking? There's a great aliveness in feeling everything. Mm. Don't put off that aliveness for distraction. Don't stuff it away by, but give yourself, you know, at least an hour a day to light a candle, have your own ritual and sit with that grief, sit with that anger. Don't, try to fix anything or, or make plans to do anything different for yourself or make agreements, just be with those feelings. See where you notice it in your body. Um, see what you want to say. Write that letter that you'll never send to just get this energy off your chest. Or grab a foam bat and go in the backyard and um, hit some trees with it or scream at the trees or dig a hole in the earth. Um, these are all some different tools I use in my private practice as I guide folks and their initiations and journeys and uh, ask for support, you know, recognize that community ultimately should be there for your times of grief along with the times of joy. Mm -hmm. So the ways I can offer 
the ways I show up um, is with these rituals and we're still kind of planning out our um, winter and spring schedules. Um, so the best way to stay tuned is through my website, which is uh, www.foxhealing.com. Um, and jump on the newsletter and you'll get, you'll hear about all the happenings. And as far as upcoming happenings, um, there's likely going to be grief trainings, grief tending trainings, which will involve tending your own grief and then helping to bring this kind of technology into your communities. So some of y'all might just want it for yourself and you can come out to uh, a ritual when we do one. You could invite me to uh, come to uh, your community to do rituals. Um, I've been doing these throughout the Southeast, um, might even go into Texas upcoming. Um, and some of these trainings will also be for those of y'all who are leaders in the community and want to know how to hold this for your specific community. We just did our first one this uh, summer and already people are starting to see these kind of rituals um, all over the place. And if you just need some one-on-one -on -one work, um, I have been grief tending over Zoom, but also working in person with folks where I can get to use things like acupuncture um, to, as one of the tools um, if you're in the Asheville, North Carolina area. So again, um, website foxhealing.com and, and feel free to reach out any questions or desire for sessions or, or rituals. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Fox. Um, this sounds like, I mean, it really is such a beautiful offering and, and again, gratitude to you for, for being in this place and recognizing this need within your, your own community. And um, it's also nice to know that you do offer one-on-one -on -one sessions online. If, if people are in different areas and they'd like to work with you, it's really great to know that you have that set up and, and are available for that. Um, and I just really appreciate these, you know, just sort of this quick list of, of tangible, practical ways that people can start doing some of, some of this healing work and some of these processes. So um, one last question for you, and this is something I like to ask all my guests because I feel that nourishment is so important in our lives. And so I would love to hear if there's anything in your world right now that's feeling really nourishing for you. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I love, um, I'm kind of coming back into my dancey self and I love contact dancing and ecstatic dance. So I'm finding um, spaces to do that with a few people, a group, or even this morning, I just kind of danced around by myself um, to this African fitness group called Kukuwa. I love uh, dancing too. And uh, I'm building, I'm finishing my house, which is um, coming along after a year of work. And there's a joy to building that feels really good too. Mm. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, building, creating, planting seeds, that, that can all feel so, you know, it gives us something to look forward to, but we're, we're invested in it. And I love that. Um, and also just dancing. Uh, I grew up dancing and, and it, 
I basically stopped when I got to college because I was busy and, and in the books and all these different things. And then I was working all the time. And um, dancing is something that I have also been been calling in a lot more of recently. And it's mostly in my kitchen as I'm cooking and and, you know, putting on some move, some music to move to. But just free form movement. And again, moving that energy around and out, not allowing things to get as stuck or as hard or hardened. Um, so I, I love that you're doing that and you're finding, you're finding joy in that. Um, and also just wanted to, to reflect that it can be such a healing process too, just to, to move our bodies and move around and, and feel that joy because, um, that feels really necessary in these times, you know, it, it can be really easy to get stuck in the day-to-day goings on of the world and the tragedies and the traumas and, and the collective grief. Um, and it's also so important to remember that that's not the only thing. Um, so thank you for speaking to that. And thank you so much just for taking the time and being here today and for all the work that you do in our community and in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Anna Claire. All right. Hope to see you soon. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Sage and Spirit. You can download more episodes and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. For more show notes and guest information, visit dancingsagewellness.com. Until next time, take care and be well.